Good morning and welcome, everyone. It's good to, to join together. It's hard to believe it's already the 11th day of October. Sometimes I think that, that, that we're, we're skipping days along the way, but it seems like only just a few days ago it was the end of March, and now we're into the middle of October. But um, we are glad to, to see you. I'm glad to see you on this beautiful fall day and excited to be able to worship together, to sing together study God's Word together. I was reading just a few minutes ago in John chapter 5, and I wanted to share some verses with you, starting in verse 19. It says, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him so that you may be marveled. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He who does not come into Judge, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. I was just excited as I read that this morning, just thinking about the fact that Jesus gives life to those that he will, those that call upon him by faith. And so we have the opportunity to celebrate as we worship the life that only Jesus can give. And so I hope that as we sing together, as we, we listen, as we respond, that we would focus on that, that we have the chance this morning, whether here in person or online, to celebrate the life that only Jesus can give us. Let me just um, remind you about a few things before I take opportunity to pray together. First of all, um, tomorrow is Columbus Day, so if you want to go discover something and then later discover that it's already been discovered, um, feel free to do that as you celebrate Columbus Day. Um, But um, you may discover, if you call the church office, or if you come to the church office, that it will be closed tomorrow because it is Columbus Day. Um, also, men's breakfast is in the morning, 6.30 Elk Diner. And next Sunday morning on the 18th, um, right after the worship service, we will have our quarterly business meeting. And so that will be right after the service next Sunday. And the next Sunday morning, we also have a very um, special treat. We have a special guest that will be with us, um, familiar to, to some and to most. Um, Brother Jimmy Nelson will be here and will be speaking. And so we're excited always when he comes to to visit. It's it's like having a family member come home. And so that's next Sunday, quarterly business meeting, and Brother Jimmy Nelson will be speaking. Before we continue on, let's just pause and and pray together. Um, And let me just lead us as we pray. Lord, we are thankful that we are here today. And because this is a day that you have made, we can rejoice and be glad in it. And because you, Lord Jesus, are the one that gives life, we celebrate the life that only you can give today. So for the ones that are here seated, for the ones that are in different places around um, 
the community, even around the nation. We are grateful that your presence is with us. And God, we ask you this morning, you would help us to hear your voice. Help us to see you high and lifted up. Help us to see who you are. Help us to see who we are apart from you. But then, Lord, help us to see the greatness of who we can be in you, that we can experience victory and deliverance and and freedom. God, the days we get closer to our upcoming election, and we do pray for your wisdom, Lord, that your will would be done. I pray you would stir it in the hearts of all our citizens, especially those that are called by the name of Jesus to vote, and Lord, that they would seek you and you would show them the way that they should vote, who they should vote for. Lord, we don't put our trust in political parties or in government, but we put our trust in you. But Lord, we know that you've given us the gift of of government to, to rule over us. And so we do pray for wisdom in that, that it would be people that would be called um, for your good and for your glory. Continue to pray for those that are, that are sick and those that are affected by the, the coronavirus and the pandemic or those that are, that are struggling financially, that are struggling emotionally or physically, those that are, that are sick or those that are just weary. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that gives strength to the weary. You are the one who brings healing to those in need of healing. You bring hope. And Lord, we thank you that you are the one who provides all of our needs. Lord, we ask that you would help us on this day, that the things that we do, the things that we say would bring honor to you. Help us delight in your presence. Help us to delight in the fellowship of other brothers and sisters. Lord, help us most of all to lift up high the name of Jesus when we sing and when we worship. And Lord, we ask you to help us to do this by your Spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you join with us as we continue to sing on this morning? Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
asked Anna if she'd be willing to sing a special. Um, just, I wanted, I just feel like God's put it on my heart to, to minister to the body in this season through special music. And um, I had this song in my head for a couple of days. I don't, it's been a while since I've woke up with songs in my head. And then Anna came in this morning. We don't talk about what anyone's going to sing. And the song that I've had in my head, she's actually singing this morning. So I took that as, okay, God, (laughs) you want to say something. So I asked Jeff if he'd be willing to put the lyrics up um, so you can enjoy that while, um, and just receive that ministry while Anna sings. So.
sing with us this morning? <laughs> Again? I will praise you. 
Praises of our heart. 
Joshua chapter 7 is where we'll uh, begin reading in a few moments if you want to find your place there and, and follow along as we continue on looking through the, the book of, of Joshua as we work toward the, the theme of victorious living. It's exciting to, to think about those, those times of victory. It's exciting to think about when God provides those moments of victory and we're fresh off chapter 6 the great victory that the Lord helped his people to secure at Jericho and we turn from the victory of chapter 6 to a stunning defeat in chapter 7 and while I don't necessarily enjoy talking about difficult subjects, I think that this transition from chapter 6 to chapter 7 is just plain old real life. That in life there are moments of victory, there are moments of excitement, there are moments where we absolutely see God do incredible things, and there are also times when we stray, when we don't do what we're supposed to do, when we take our eyes off Jesus, and there are these moments of defeat. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. When I wrote the, the sermon title, I, I didn't even think about it. It wasn't until about 9.30 last night that I even gave you the title. And I wrote just the seriousness of sin. And I thought, well, you know, that got out on the website. And anyway, I thought, it's, you know, that may be something that would deter people from, from listening or maybe even paying attention. You don't have notes in your bulletin. You just have some lines. But we're going to look this morning at the seriousness of sin. You know, when Jesus told his one of his parables, he talked about how just a little bit of leaven would cause the whole lump of dough to rise. And we see the seriousness of sin, that just a little bit of sin, unchecked, unconfessed, unrepented, can, can grow and cause monumental difficulties. But I hope that if you hang with me till the end, that you will see that even though there is a seriousness to sin, there is still opportunity for that defeat to be turned into a victory. So we're going to read the entire chapter. It's a little bit lengthy, but it tells the story much better than I could on my, my own We'll pause to pray. But I want you to think about this, that while sin will always, always bring defeat, confession and repentance lead us to victory. So chapter 7, let's look at this together. It says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, 
son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name, our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Then the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, these are devoted things. There are devoted things in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take all away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken and he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man and Zabdi was taken and he brought near his household man by man and Achan the son of Carmi son of Zabdi son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken then Joshua said to Achan my son give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done do not hide it from me And Achan answered, Joshua, truly, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, 
Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Oh, Father, when we read these words this morning, we are reminded of the seriousness of sin, the reality of your burning anger against sin, the seriousness of it, so serious that you gave your only Son, the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that we would see you, that we would see ourselves. And where we fall short, we would find our sufficiency in Christ. Where we failed you, we would find healing and forgiveness through our confession and repentance. So, Lord, make your face shine upon us this morning. Shine your light by your Spirit on your Word and bring it to our hearts for our good. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Sin always will bring defeat, but confession and repentance lead to victory. Let's just look at some of the simple facts of the story. It's immediately after the battle of Jericho, and Joshua sends spies to Ai, this small city, sort of a smaller place than Jericho. Should have been much easier for them to win a victory. And the spies return with a very favorable report. In fact, they say, you know, don't take the whole people. Don't make them all toil up there, for they are few, they're small. Send only maybe two or three thousand. Well, they send about three thousand men, and when they get there, they find a challenge. The battle report is given for us, and we read in these verses that there are 36 men dead. The rest were chased away. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And so the writer uses the language to describe what earlier we read about the enemies. Remember Jericho, their, their hearts had melted. God had promised them that their enemies, their hearts would melt before them. And now we have God's people, Israel, and their hearts have melted. They went up there expecting a certain victory and they came before a surprising defeat. And you can imagine the questions in their mind. What went wrong? 
Why did we lose? God was with us, wasn't He? And Joshua, in his grief, takes the problem to the Lord. You see, he doesn't know what we know about verse 1, because verse 1 is just setting the story. He doesn't know exactly what's going on. See, we already know that it was Achan's fault, because he took some of those devoted things, and that the people of Israel had violated God's instructions. Back in chapter 6, remember those instructions, keep yourselves from the devoted things devoted to destruction, lest... When you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. Remember that word trouble that will come up again later. And so the writer tells us what Joshua is about to find out. And out of despair, not disbelief, Joshua bows before the presence of the Lord, intervening for his people and inquiring of his God. And Joshua and the elders of the leaders, they take on this attitude of, of mourning. They tore their clothes. They put dust on their heads. And Joshua raises up two concerns before the Lord. First, the welfare of his people. Oh Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? And then he also shows concern for the name of the Lord. That phrase, and what will you do for your great name? See, Joshua had been given these instructions from God that if you, if you follow me and walk in my ways, you're going to see victory and you're going to be strong and you're going to be courageous. And then, boom, they've faced defeat. And he's wondering what's going on. And so he takes his complaint to the right place. And we have to be sure that we see that he's complaining to God. He's not complaining about God. There's something he doesn't understand and he takes it to God. And you and I can do the same things when there's things that we don't understand. We can take those complaints before God. It's very different than grumbling and complaining about God. Like the children of Israel did in the wilderness. And so Joshua and the leaders, they bow before the ark. They're there, they're faces on the ground. They're humble. They're ready to hear God speak. And what God is going to reveal to Joshua and to the people can teach us a great deal here in 2020. Recent study by George Barna just completed this year, 2020, looking at Christianity in the United States, came to this basic conclusion that Christianity in the United States is growing more and more permissive of what the world permits. And it's growing to look more and more like the world. Now, I don't think we really needed a study to back that up, but that is the truth. The church is not looking very much different from the world today, and the church is becoming more and more permissive of what the world says is okay. Now, in the specific group of those people, which we fall in as Baptists of evangelicals, people who believe in the authority of the Bible, that believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that that brings salvation and victory over sin, and that salvation is through faith in Jesus, and then have a desire to see men and women come to know Jesus, that there's evangelism, that the desire to tell other peoples about Jesus. Listen to this. This is in this smaller group that would be just like us. 52% of those who would call themselves evangelicals reject absolute truth that would say that there's no absolute yes and no. And that's 52%, over half of people inside the church. 
61% don't read their Bible consistently. I think those two are interconnected. If you don't believe the truth, why would you read it? And if you don't read the truth, how would you know what it is? But listen to this. This one is probably the most troubling of them all. 75% of evangelical Christians rejected this statement. People are not basically good. We are sinners. So three out of every four on this survey disagreed with the statement that people are not basically good, that they're sinners. So what does that mean? That means that the majority of people that sit in, in churches today believe that people are basically good and that probably God is good and because God is good, He's going to save us in the end. And what does that affect? It affects our desire to seek God and to pursue personal holiness and it affects our evangelism. Because if 75% of the people sitting in church believe people are basically good, then they don't have very much of a reason to go out and tell people that they are going to die and go to hell because they need a relationship with Jesus. And so while I read this study, I was thinking about, okay, we need the truth of what Joshua chapter 7 is teaching us today. We need to be reminded of the seriousness of, of sin in our life. And so I have six questions. You're going to see them on the screen that will help us as we move through the material. And the first one is this. Why were the Israelites defeated at Ai? Here's the answer. Sin led to the defeat at Ai. They had a certain promise. Nothing would stand in their way. They would go in and take the land. They would conquer the land if they were obedient. Whose sin was it? It's in, it was one man's sin. It was a man named Achan. What did Achan do? He took some of the devoted things, something that was prohibited by the Lord. He knew it, but he did it anyway. Probably thinking to himself, self, you know, no one's going to notice. It really won't hurt anyone. He believed the deception of the enemy and the text tells us he saw it, he coveted it, he took it, and he hid it. He sinned. But what he didn't realize was someone would notice, God would notice. And Achan's sin would not just affect Achan, it would affect his his family and all of Israel. That there's a a corporate responsibility to sin. Achan sinned and all of Israel gets blamed. Man, I hated it in grade school when somebody wouldn't just fess up and say they did something and the teacher would say this, well, all right, I'm just going to punish the whole class. Oh, it would make me nuts. I mean, I think I would have maybe wanted to throw some stones at that point because, you know, you're thinking it was you, you rat. You know, why didn't you just confess? And Achan here, just like a child in a classroom, Achan sins and the class suffers. Because verse 11 says, not just Achan, but Israel has sinned. They have transgressed the commandment that I gave. They took some of the devoted things. They stole and lied and put them among their own belongings. So the pronoun is not I, Achan, it's they, Israel. You see, when we sin, we never sin alone. It always affects people around us. 
sin in the church affects the whole church. One man said it this way, when one member of a local fellowship is guilty of sin before God, the verdict from heaven is always, my people have sinned. Think about this, the, the confessions of the prophets. Think about the prayer of, of Daniel, my people have sinned. Because you know what happens? My sin affects you. And your sin affects me and everyone else. And if we truly believe, like the Bible says, that we're a body of Christ, we must also believe that when one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part receives something good, we all receive something good. And when one part sins, it affects everyone. See, in the game of sin, everyone loses. God thinks sin is a big deal. It's serious. See, Achan sinned and it said what? God's anger burns against Israel. Israel transgressed. They went beyond the boundary that God had set. They crossed the line that they knew they shouldn't cross. And when we cross that line, there's always a consequence. One man sinned and all of Israel was defeated. Now, the second question we need to look at is, what did God reveal to Joshua about the defeat? Joshua's on his face inquiring of the Lord. What's going on here, God? I don't understand. Verse 10, the Lord speaks to Joshua. First thing he says is, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? First sentence, verse 11, Israel has sinned. And then he goes on to reveal the effect of that Defeat of that sin. And its first thing is defeat. Verse 12, the people of the Lord cannot stand before their enemies. And then they saw it played out. There was right there. They went to Ai and they were defeated. They turned their backs before their enemies. Why? Because they have become devoted for destruction. But more seriously, they had lost the Lord's presence. The Lord said, I will be with you. No more. So because of their disobedience, God caused defeat. Because disobedience always welcomes trouble. See, as long as those things that were devoted to destruction were still in the camp of Israel, they would be defeated and God would be with them no more. But while disobedience welcomes trouble, disobedience does not have to be the end of the story. When we say, I've really blown it this time, God could never forgive me or look what I've done. There's hope. And we see hope at the end of verse 12. There's a way for them to restore that relationship with God, to be reconciled, to be restored It's possible, but, oh, it's going to be costly. Listen to what it says. Unless you destroy the devoted things among you. You see, Israel would be set apart for destruction as long as they devoted things were in the camp. Because they had taken some things that shouldn't have been taken and had them in their possession, that as long as those things were there, then they were going to be defeated. But if those devoted things were removed, God said He would once again be with His people. 
he would restore their relationship and victory could be theirs. God offers forgiveness and redemption. And so our failures are not the end of our stories. The big question is, would Israel see this sin as serious as God saw it? And how would they deal with it? Makes me think, do I see sin as serious as God sees it? Do the people around me see it as serious? And am I willing to deal with it? Because the third question is, what solution did God require? See, in verse 11, God revealed the sin. And then in verse 13, He tells them to consecrate themselves, to make spiritual preparations, to be ready to examine themselves. Why? Because there are devoted things in your midst. God was about to search His people and reveal their sin. God's not willing to let us be comfortable with our sin. He wants to reveal it. He shows it to us so that we can get rid of it. So that they... Israel could get rid of these devoted things. That's the solution to to get ready and to get rid of the devoted things. Verse 13, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Until. You can't have victory until you deal with your sin. Those items that they shouldn't have taken had to be searched out, had to be removed from the camp and destroyed. It's extreme measures because extreme measures are required when you deal with a serious problem. Sometimes people have to undergo radical surgery to preserve their health. We have a a great friend who just had successful surgery last week and it was a radical surgery he had a tumor that had wrapped itself around his his spine and they had to do surgery and the surgery was very tedious because they didn't know if they would be able to get all of the tumor and they needed to get all of the tumor but it was wrapped around and they thought if we can't do it all at once we may have to do a second surgery but but praise god that this radical surgery was successful and the doctor came out with just glorious news that he was able to remove all of the tumor. And our friend is, is home and doing well. Jesus in Matthew 5.30 talks about the seriousness of sin and the need to treat it radically. He says it's better that you lose one of your members than the whole body go into hell. You see, Israel would have to be very serious about how they handled their sin because God was taking it very serious. God would identify it for them and they, with His help, would have to remove it. Which meant the guilty person would be punished severely. We'll see more about that in just a a minute. But I don't want us to miss the fact that there's always an interplay going in the Bible between God's justice and God's mercy. You see, God's justice requires punishment for sin. But at the same time, 
the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So when God judges, it's never without cause. And it's always preceded by His mercy. You see, in God's wrath, He remembers mercy. It's what the prophet Habakkuk cried out to God for. And today, God's judgments are not without just cause, but they're always preceded by mercy. There are warning signs. There are opportunities to turn and to repent. You see, even today, there's a cost to sin. There's a price that is to be paid. There's a punishment that has to be executed. But when we read our Bibles, we find out that the good news is, the gospel is that Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. That while there's a price to pay, it's a high price. It's the cost of life that Jesus paid the debt of our sin so that anyone that would call on His name and trust Him by faith could find life not death. And that we continually have the opportunity to come before His throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and grace in our time of need. That we can come and find forgiveness each and every day. See, God tells Joshua how they need to deal with their sin. And then the fourth question is, how did Joshua and the people respond? One word, answer. They responded in obedience. They listened to what God told them to do. Not just with their head, but with their heart. And then they moved forward and did exactly what God asked them to do. A principle that we can learn, that we need to realize that when we follow God's instructions, it leads to restoration, to blessing, and to victory. Another way of saying that is when you and I do what God says, He blesses, He restores, He gives victory. So what was the first task for the people of Israel? Well, they had to find out who was responsible. Now, the way they did this was through the casting of lots. That the people would be paraded before all the people, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, and then man by man, this slow, meticulous, dramatic process. Suspense, anticipation. Each family passes by until finally verse 18 tells us that Achan was taken. The source of the problem was revealed. It was the the sin of this man Achan, and this man who sinned must be punished. And so Joshua gives Achan the opportunity to speak. It's almost like, you know, in in a courtroom, does the defendant have anything they would like to say for themselves? And he says, give glory to God. Tell them what you've done. Don't hide it from me. It's almost like a parent talking to a child and saying, tell the truth. And we have the confession Look at verse 20 and 21. Achan answered Joshua, 
Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Achan admits, it was me. I, I did it. I saw. I coveted. I took. I hid. I tried to cover it up. Sounds like the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Their defense, we saw, we coveted, took, we tried to cover it up. David, his sin with Bathsheba. I saw. I coveted. I took. He tried to cover it up. It's important that we see that when Achan confessed, it was not out of godly sorrow. Because Achan had a long time to fess up for what he had done. Tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, man by man, nothing. Achan's just quiet. And then the Lord reveals him. See, he got caught. He was still trying to cover it up, thinking no one would notice, even though God gave him opportunity after opportunity. He didn't step forward and admit his sin. It was revealed. And so Joshua sends messengers to Achan's tent to find these items because they needed to be returned to the presence of the Lord. And verse 24 tells us that Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold. Those are items that were stolen. But then listen to what's added. And his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they were brought to the valley of Achor. So not just the things that he had stolen, but his family, his livestock, his possessions, his house, are brought before all of Israel, and they're taken to this valley of Achor, which is, the word Achor means the valley of trouble. And there Achan would be judged. The punishment that he would receive because sin carries a very serious penalty. Joshua speaking to Achan, verse 25, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel, everyone, stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and the stones, they stoned them with stones. So everyone in Israel was there to see. Everyone participated and Hakan was killed. His family was killed. His livestock were killed. His possessions were, were burned. And rocks were piled on top and were left there as a reminder of his actions. And you might be thinking at this point, wow, that's pretty serious. Did, did his family really have to die also? 
The Bible doesn't give us the exact reason. We can't be sure of the age of Achan or the age of his children. Many people suggest that they may have been older. But in all likelihood, they probably lived with Achan. They might have been accomplices to his crime. And it would have been very difficult for them to have lived in that tent and not known about it. But doubtless, the actions of Achan affected his whole family. And the punishment that was given was what God had commanded. And this punishment would have been an experience that surely would have gotten the attention of all of Israel. Think about the early church in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira because of their lying to the Holy Spirit. But regardless of what you think about this or the questions we don't have answers to, one thing we can know for sure that everything God does is just. He had a reason and a purpose and he was justified in his actions. So Achan's sin is revealed. Achan is punished. How did God respond? It's a lovely phrase in verse 26. The Lord turned from his burning anger. You see, in verse 1 we read, the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel, and now the Lord turned from His burning anger. Joshua and his people were obedient. They took those things that were devoted to destruction. They did what was supposed to be done with them. They destroyed them. Achan was punished. He was put to death. And once the sin was dealt with, God turned from His wrath. The barrier that lay between God and His people was broken down. The sin was dealt with and God no longer had to deal with them in judgment. And by His grace, the blessing of His power and His presence was renewed. Oh, it reminds me of... Can't you just see it? Jesus, on the cross, you and I, stood guilty and sentenced to death because of our sin. And while Achan was guilty, Jesus, who was not guilty, Him who knew no sin, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus bore our sin. He took our punishment and He died in our place. Make that personal. Jesus bore my sin. Jesus took my punishment. Jesus died in my place. And through His death, the dividing wall between God and man was torn down at the cross. And by grace through faith, we have life. We have access to His presence and His power. Because while Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, the rest of the verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So what can we learn from this? There's, there's several things. The first thing, and I said it earlier, is that all sin is a big deal to God. You see, we tend to measure sin on a scale. And we have little and big. Some sins don't really matter. Some sins to us are a big deal. 
God has one scale, and it's sin. All sin is an affront to God. In general, we take every opportunity to minimize our own sin. It's not that big a deal. Surely it doesn't hurt anybody, and nobody will ever know, and I deserve it. But sin is serious enough to God that it cost Jesus Christ His life. Sin's serious. Second thing is your sin will find you out. You can read that in Numbers 32-23. Sin's never hidden before God. Never, ever, ever. And whether or not other people discover your sin, your sin will discover you. Sin has a way of self-disclosing. F.B. Meyer said it this way, sin is like a boomerang. It comes back on the hand that launched it. So don't be naive. Don't be foolish, your sin will find you out and you won't get away with it. Third, sin affects the people around you. See, sin is not completely a personal matter. It's radioactive. It has a negative effect on people surrounding you. The hurt, the pain spreads. It's contagious. It can draw other people in. It spreads. It causes more damage than we could ever imagine. It affects people around us. And fourth, unconfessed sin always leads to defeat. Unconfessed sin always leads to defeat. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let me say it this way. You can't hide your sins under your tent and walk in victory. Just like you can't throw your dirty clothes in the closet and push your toys under the bed and declare you've cleaned your room. You can't hide your sins under your tent and walk in victory. If confessing your sins is not a regular part of your daily time with God, you're going to live in defeat. Because he who confesses and forsakes them, will obtain mercy. Connected closely to this, though, is the good news, the the fifth thing. When sin is confessed and put away, God gives victory. When you confess and repent of your sin, God gives victory. That's why 1 John 1, 9 and 10 is so important. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us 
our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, try to hide it, keep it under our tent, we make him a liar and says his word is not in us. So confession and repentance bring victory. And on the road to victory, we see the sixth thing. Because, you know, we remember earlier, sin doesn't just affect one person. It affects many people. Confession and repentance is necessary for the church to be victorious. I wrote down a sentence. I'm still trying to digest it. Um, Brother Jimmy Nelson wrote it in, I think, 1998, shortly before he retired from the seminary, or right around that time in the late 90s. The church today does not always take seriously the consequences of sin. But get this punchline. But lives in complacent disobedience. I read that and it was just burned into my mind. Complacent disobedience. I'm happy being not right. It's okay that I'm not obedient. Oh, what God would do. How He would unlock the floodgates of heaven if that complacent disobedience was replaced with radical disobedience. Because now in this complacent disobedience, what do we see? We see our spiritual walks are hindered. We have a difficult time hearing God, focusing on God, worshiping God, reading His Word. We don't see God do miraculous things in our our churches. And we have, at best, indifference toward those people that are apart from Christ. See, we can't continue to tolerate what God will not tolerate and expect Him to bless us and work powerfully in our churches. Alan Redpath, who was president of Moody College, said this, The victory of the whole community depends on the victorious life of every individual church member or of the body of Christ no member is greater or lesser every member is important and it takes all of us working together to walk in victory let me close with this while sin will always bring defeat confession and repentance lead to victory this is heavy stuff it's difficult but it needs to be it needs to be way heavy on our minds and on our hearts so God can work in us. But I want to give you hope. In the little book of Hosea, that beautiful story of God's grace, of God's radical pursuing love, in Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, God promises one day that the valley of Achor will be a door of hope. The valley of trouble will be a door of hope. The place where Achan brought trouble upon all of Israel, where he suffered the penalty for his death, penalty for his actions, he died. God says will one day be a doorway to hope. There's a doorway to hope today in the midst of trouble and God wants to make 
your valley of trouble a door of hope today. Achan died for his sin so that the Lord's anger would be turned away from Israel. Jesus died for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. Let me ask you this. What are you hiding under your tent today? What sin do you need to confess and repent from? What needs to go and start now? And what are you going to do about it? We pray. Gracious God, we pause before you. And we've looked at a story that paints the pictures and the consequences of sin and gives us the path to victory. And Lord, we are trusting in the one who says that you can take the valley of trouble and open up a door of hope. And we thank you that that door is open and wide in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who says, I stand at the door and knock, stands ready and waiting to bring forgiveness and hope and healing, redemption and victory. And so, Lord, in this moment, help us to focus our hearts on You. Help us to see that You see everything anyway. And it's silly and foolish to think that we could ever hide anything from You. And Lord, as we consider this question, what do we need to confess and repent from today? Help us to see it. If there's something we need to give up, if there's something that we need to to break free from, that today would be the day. If there's a stronghold that needs to be torn down, that today would be the day. Or that we would respond with obedience, with faith, with trust in the one who is our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Healer, the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to take the truth of this Word. Not just to walk away and say it was, well, that was okay, or that was good, or hmm, was interesting, but to truly apply it to our lives by the power of Your Spirit. We ask You to help us for that. In Jesus' name, Amen time that we have for the before the Lord. Well, the, the main question I would like you to consider is, God, what sin do you need me to confess and to repent from? Or the altar will be open. You can remain where you are. But today is also the day of salvation to any who will come to the Lord Jesus with, with faith and trust. Just saying, I confess my sins and I'm playing my life. At your feet, Lord Jesus. But there also could be other concerns that you need to bring before the Lord. And this place is a place to do that. I'll be at the front if you need someone to to pray for you. Um, But Lord, just trust the Lord to do His work during this time. So would you join with me in standing? Musicians are going to lead us in a song. and So we hear God's voice. Lord, help us respond.
you to do this before we leave look around and just i want you to pick one look around and, and you probably immediately think about one person that um you didn't see this morning and this 
afternoon before the sun sets, make it a priority to either pick up your phone and give them a call or to send them a, a message. Just let them know that you miss them and that you love them and um, just to encourage them in their, their faith and their walk. And so if everybody does that, that'll be at least 30 more people or 40 more people that will receive an encouragement and a blessing this afternoon. I want to thank you for joining us for, for worship this morning. Thanks to those that, that always do such a great job. Um, I think we take them for granted sometimes, but we do appreciate all of them and just their, their wonderful gift of, of music and how they bless us each week. So, so thank you all for your time that you invest and for um, using the abilities that you have, um, whether it's singing or strumming or drumming. We're, uh, we're thankful for it all. Um, we're going to sing a song as we um, close today, and when we start singing, um, you're free to go. So Lord bless you. You've been nothing but good, nothing but good to me. You've been nothing but kind.